scary to get to the pool with my family. You know, I thought I had God. You know, I was religious. But nobody knew all the torment I had been going for four years. I had anxiety, depression, OCD, anger problems, panic attacks, anxiety attacks. To the point I thought I would have a heart attack. So I would just rush to the hospital doctor with my boys. I was paranoid. I lived in fear. I would beg my husband to stay home from work. And I put that man through hell. We moved out of two apartments because I was obsessed with bed bugs. I never even seen one. I lived a torment in my life for four years after I had my kids. And I tried medication. I tried therapy. I tried going to the doctor. I tried talking to my family. Everybody thought I was just going through a phase. But nobody knew that when I would wake up, I would cry. When I would clean for eight hours till my hands bled, I would cry. I would go to sleep crying. I would, I was just depressed. I could have won the lottery and I would not appreciate it. And then uh, the only place I felt safe was here, bringing my kids. So I was like, it's for my kids that I go to church. It's for my kids. But then Griselda was like, you got to get saved. And I did. And four years went of pain went in like minutes. I wanted to walk home. I lived on Diversity and Kimball. I was taking the bus from here, and my boys were like, why are you so happy, Mom? Like, because of Jesus. And they were like, why? I just wanted to walk home. I wanted to talk to the strangers. It was 10 o'clock at night. I was just, just saying hi to the cars passing by. I was like, oh, my God, this is too good to be true. So I encourage anybody that's not saved to get saved. And I think the boldness of this church that goes out there, because if you would have seen me, I look put together but you didn't know what was going on in my head, in my heart. I really, I was at the point I wanted to basically die. I felt guilty for having my kids, brought them to a cruel world where every time I turned on the news, something happened. So I didn't even want my kids to step out the door. They stopped talking to their cousins because of my fears. And um, it's all turned around and I'm so grateful. And every time I cry, it's out of gratefulness. And um, there's a scripture that I would hear, but I wouldn't understand it, and I would like to share it with you. It says, but seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. Now I understand it, but in my heart, not in my head. And that's where I know Jesus now. So... Let's pray. Let's pray. I, hello? Hello? Oh, okay. First of all, thank you, Jesus, for everything. I'm so grateful. I will never stop being grateful. I pray for those people that are not safe to get saved. I pray for those people that we do not see what goes on in their heads, in their heart. Please, I don't know, heal them. I, well, I just lift them up to you because I've been there and I lift those people with depression, anxiety, panic, paranoia, anything, a heartache that they do not know why. I lift those up to you, Jesus. Amen. Hallelujah. Come on, can we just lift up a shout of praise for what God does? How many of you guys know that God is alive? He's in the business of changing lives. He's in the business of changing and transforming our lives. Hallelujah, Jesus. 
worship you, Jesus. Come put your hands together. You're alive, Lord. Come on, this next song talks about how awesome God is, that he's alive, and that we're found in him. Come on, sing this with us. Let hope arise. Let hope arise and make the darkness high. My faith is dead. I need a resurrection. Something in that hope. Let hope arise and make the darkness high. My faith. My faith is dead. I need a resurrection. Something. Now I'm
focus on him today come on a lot of times we can think of of Jesus as our Santa Claus or maybe a God that is far off but this song talks about that God is victorious Jesus is like a lion and he reigns today and if you feel defeated I want you to see Jesus for who he is he is victorious over every situation that we can face and God we come to you Lord God as our source we come to you, Lord Jesus, as our victorious warrior God that reigns over our lives. Come on, if you need to surrender a situation to him where you feel defeated right now, come on, I want you to lift up your eyes to the king because he reigns today. Come on, he reigns today. We can walk in our freedom. We can walk in victory in Jesus. Come, we surrender it all to you, God. You reign, God. You reign victoriously, Jesus. Jehovah Jireh, you're my 
let's just praise him. Let's just talk to the Lord this morning. Come on, we sing a song about who he is. He's our provider and that he reigns in victory. Come on, if you need Jesus this morning to be your Prince of Peace, can you call out to him this morning? Come on, if you need Jesus to be your provider, you need to walk in victory in Jesus. Come on, call out to the Lord this morning. Come on, he's listening. He's waiting for us to come to him. Oh, we worship you, Jesus. You're everything we need. for you you know you're chained up you're bound up you can't sleep at night the, he the hand of God has been heavy upon you come on to come to him he's imploring you to come and get freedom today come on if that's you respond to Jesus say Jesus give me your freedom God I surrender Lord my life to you I surrender the things that hold me down. I surrender my sin, God, to you, Lord. I can't do it alone, God. I want your freedom completely, Lord. Come on, if that's you, if that's you, respond to him. Raise your hands this morning to Jesus, who the Son sets free is free indeed. Today, in a moment, he can set you free from years of chained up, bound up lifestyle. Come on, years of struggling, he can set you free in a moment. Come on, freedom over this place, God.
need you with my children. I need you with my family members. I need you in the quiet place. I need you in my heart. I need you in my mind. Come on. I need your strength. I need you, Lord. Come on. It's a desperation. It's a desperation. It's a need. It's a desire. It's a longing for the King of Kings in our lives. Do you have that this morning? Oh, we're lost without you. Oh, we're lost without you, King. You are the light of the world. You are the light of the world, dear God. Without you, we're in darkness. We're lost without you, dear God. And this morning, we are desperate for you. We are desperate for you in our lives and in the lives of those who've never encountered you before. We're desperate for you. Come on. Heavenly Father, we are desperate for you. Jesus Christ, we are desperate for you. Holy Spirit, we are desperate for you. We are desperate for you. A move in our lives, a move in our communities, a move in our public schools, in our education system, a move, a move of God. We're desperate for you, God. Everything else does not work. Come on, knock on the doors of heaven this morning. Come on, let them know. Chicago is desperate for you, God. America is desperate for you, God. The nations are desperate for you. We're desperate, God. We're desperate for you. For a move of God, for a revival that would open the eyes and the hearts of the unbelievers, that would touch the hearts of the politicians, God, that would reach the government, dear God. For mothers and fathers who fear you and would not abandon their children, God, that would not abandon their children for parties, for drugs, for alcohol, for money. We're desperate for you, God. We're dying without you. We're in a dry and thirsty land where there is no water and only you satisfy, God. Dead bones, God, we need you to bring us to life. There's a power of God that he's given us. His church is a power of God inside of us. And he wants us to move in his power. He wants his church to wake up. He wants his church to be desperate for him. He wants his church to keep his eyes, their eyes upon him, their eyes upon the cross. Are you desperate for him this morning? Come on, it's a fire of God. It's a fire of God. He's ready to pour it out this morning. 
Fire of God. Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit. Oh. Heavenly Father, my prayer this morning is that in this room there will be disciples who believe your word. Disciples who would preach your gospel. Disciples who would believe in the signs and the wonders, dear God, that follow the preaching of the gospel. Disciples who trust in you even when it gets hard. Disciples who pick up their cross and follow you. Disciples who count the cost. Holy Spirit, do a work in us. Do a work in us. Come on. In Jesus' name. If you want that, come on. Give the Lord a hand of praise this morning. Praise him. Hallelujah, Jesus. Come on, he's doing it. He's doing it. Amen and amen. Hallelujah. Woo, thank you, Jesus. Won't you guys please just take a seat? Welcome to Metro Praise International. Thank you so much for being here. I would like to take this time to dismiss the children. Your Sunday school teacher is waiting for you in the back. Hallelujah. I want to take this moment. Come on, God is doing something powerful. He is moving. He's working. It's a new season. It's a new season. Please open up your Bibles with me to John 3, 36. I want to preach the gospel to you. I want to talk to you about Jesus Christ. He's the reason why we gather every Sunday morning. He's the reason why we're here. We believe in the living God. We believe in the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. In this world, we were damned without Christ, which is why he sent his one and only son to die on the cross to be a sacrifice for our sins. You guys know we've all sinned before, right? We've all done something against a holy God, every single one of us. There's not one better than another. Sin is sin. Sometimes we compare ourselves, right? I'm better than so-and-so. I'm not as bad as that murderer or rapist. But we don't understand the weight of sin, of one sin before a holy God cannot stand. There needed to be a sacrifice. There needed to be someone to take the punishment that we deserved, and that someone was Jesus Christ, God in the flesh. He gave his life for us, and whoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life. Here in John 3, 36, it says, whoever believes in the Son has eternal life, but whoever rejects the Son will not see life, for God's wrath remains on them. There's a wrath of God being poured out upon all people because we've all pushed back the truth. We've all gone away and we've sinned. The wrath of God will be pouring out, is pouring out. But if we come under the covering of Jesus Christ, we can be forgiven of those sins. Jesus Christ took that punishment for us. And we can have eternal life. You have a choice. You can believe this morning or you can reject it. You can reject his truth. It's your choice. He doesn't force himself upon anyone does not. It's your choice. If he were to force you to believe in him, that's called forced love. What's forced love? It's like rape, right? 
He doesn't do that. He did not create robots. He created each and every one of us individually that we would make that choice to follow him, to have faith, a trust, as you would to, to a father or mother. You trust freely, right? That's the trust and the faith that he's looking for, to trust him with your life, to trust him to wash you clean of those sins and that he would have a place for you after this life. We can't escape death. We can't escape eternity. But we can choose the right path, and that's following Jesus Christ to eternal life in heaven with him. If you don't know him, if you're in this place and you know that you're far from God, today is a day for your salvation. It is not an accident that you are here this morning. God is knocking at the door of your heart, and he's saying, come, come. And you yourself know that God has been leading you to him. There's no more fighting. There's no more arguing. Surrender to God. Surrender. Let him do a work in you. And if you've known Christ for many years, maybe you grew up in the church, stop putting God in a box. Stop thinking that you know everything there is to know about him. It's why you're lukewarm. But God says you're either cold or hot. If you're lukewarm, he's going to spit you out of his mouth. This is the season. Get on fire for God. Live for Jesus and let him use you to impact those around you. Amen? We're going to have some life group leaders up there, Monique. Would somebody else please join her? They want to pray with you. If you want to receive Jesus as your Lord and Savior, please talk to them right after this. And they will pray with you and they will help you get connected into this church. Amen? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we love you, we adore you, and we need you. We thank you that for the gift of salvation. We thank you that there's new life and we don't have to receive the wrath. I pray in this room that there's people who are lost, who are far from you. I pray for salvation. I pray for born-again spirits this morning. I pray for new life in the name of Jesus. I bind every lie of the devil, every excuse, and every distraction on why not to live for you. And I pray for disciples to arise in Jesus' name. Men and women of God who will lay down their life for you as you've done for us. In Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. Please stand up to your feet with me. We are about to recite our confession our of faith. If you need a copy of this, please raise your hand. One of the ushers will right over here. We have some in the back. We'll come and give you one. This, as we recite that this is our biblical worldview. We believe that this, these statements found in your Bible apply to every single person around the world. So we're going to recite this on the count of three. One, two, three. I believe in one God and creator who is the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. The Father who so loved the world. The Son who purchased my salvation in his death, burial, and resurrection and the Holy Spirit who makes me new and abides in me forever. I believe in the perfect Holy Bible that reveals God's purposes and plans for my life. I believe in the second coming of Jesus who will judge the living and the dead. I believe in the eternal reward of believers in Jesus and the eternal punishment for all unbelievers in Jesus. I believe in the United Church of Jesus Christ built upon apostles and prophets, elders and deacons, in which the gates of hell shall not prevail. I believe in the salvation for all mankind, 
It is by faith alone, in Christ alone, by God's grace alone, and for the glory of God alone. Amen and amen. Come on, give them some praise. Amen. You guys got the next couple of minutes to fellowship. Greet somebody new. And if you need prayer, our workers are right over here to pray with you. Sunday. God is good. Welcome to Metro Praise International. For those of you who do not know who I am, my name is Nancy Wyrostek. I'm one of the apostolic elders here. And we just want to welcome every single person. Thank you so much for joining us this morning as we praise the Lord and get ready to hear the word of God. Amen. 
Our services here are every Sunday at 10 o'clock in the morning. Just always bring somebody with you, a neighbor, invite a coworker. Try to keep inviting those friends and families that do not know Jesus. We want to fill this place up with people that need God. And then Fridays, elevate. Every Friday at 7 p.m., they're blowing it up with the high schools, reaching the teenagers for Jesus. They're just doing awesome things. If you know any teenagers from the ages of 11 to 18, please invite them here for Friday nights at 7. They're having a blast. Come on. Um, our vision here is very simple. We want to love God and we want to love people with all of our hearts. And so we want to welcome the visitors at this time as we love on you. Thank you for all those who are here for the first time. We welcome you. And if you did not receive this brochure when you walked in, if you could fill out the bottom portion of this card, put it in the drop box. We'll connect with you throughout the week because we just want to show you some love. How many of you guys want to show people some love? Come on. Loving God and loving people, that is our vision. And our discipleship strategy is threefold. We want to connect, mentor, and send you. And our connect phase, connecting you to the cross, is through our life groups. Somebody say life groups. And all of our information for life groups is on the back of your handout. And we want to make it very plain for you to see every Sunday what is happening for this coming week. So on the back of your handouts, you can see it's categorized by four different uh, sections and just this week alone this is what's happening all this stuff going on okay so we want to make it very clear so that you guys can be you know picking the right place to go to so just today encounter prayer night life group any age five o'clock tonight so if you want more of god you want to keep pressing into worship have people pray for you experience some deliverance and just go all out for god you want to be here on sundays at 5 p.m and then this tuesday we have our elevate life group some elevators make some noise Come on, they're having their life group this week. And then Wednesday, we have our children's life group. So it's a King's Kids life group for all of our children where they get to come and have their activities and learn about God. And so we want you to bring them. It's uh, infant to 11 years old, starts at 6.30, and it goes to about 8 o'clock. So bring your children, if you have any, please here on Wednesdays. And let's just fill this room with the love of Jesus for our children. Amen. And then Friday is our adult Bible study life group every single week at Pastor uh, Berto and Griselda's house. They're just getting into the word. That's at seven o'clock. If you want more information about that, you can talk to them. And then Saturday, our evangelism life group where they go onto the streets, tell people about Jesus. And I know there is somebody here today from um, people going out witnessing yesterday at Wicker Park. So God is moving. So that's every Saturday at 5 p.m. So find a place to go to, plug in and get some life at life groups. Come on, somebody say amen. And then we want to mentor you, mentor you with the cross, teach you how to live like Jesus. That's our 101 book, Welcome to Your New Life. We have leaders ready to go in place to uh, take you through this according to your schedule. Once a week, every other week, once a month. That's between you and our leaders here. And you, we want you to go after God. And then after you finish that, we have our 201, Disciples That Make Disciples. And when you're in this class, you are hardcore for Jesus. Somebody say hardcore. This is where we teach you to be a leader, to be a leader in God's church, a leader in your community. And we just want to really equip and train everybody. And then we want to send you out to evangelize on the streets, at your jobs, in your communities. And then our goal is to have 100,000 disciples in Chicago with 50 churches and then 500 churches around the world. If you believe we can do that, say amen. Come on, praise God. How many of you guys believe God is good? God is good in this place. And I just want to give a shout out about yesterday's seminar. Our Chicago for Jesus evangelism seminar was a hit. 
Pastor Jared and the team did an amazing job. Come on, give it up for them. Pastor Jared and the team blew it up. It was a home run. People came out strong. They learned about evangelism. They were equipped. They were taught. And then they hit the streets at Wicker Park like deep. Somebody say deep. They hit it deep. 40 people. They're just witnessing, telling people about God. And so they just did phenomenal. And it was exciting. And people are catching the fire about evangelism. We had other churches here with us. And so it's spreading, guys. I, we didn't make it up, okay? So Jesus taught us about evangelism. All we're doing is doing what Jesus told us to do. And we want that fire to spread across the city. So we just want to thank you guys. And uh, let's just keep going all out for God. If you've never street witnessed before, join them on Saturdays. It is awesome. It's really going to challenge your faith and uh, help you get closer to God and just give you a heart for the loss. If some of you guys say, well, I don't really think about the loss. I don't really have a heart for the loss. I asked Jesus to give me a heart for the loss. Just get your feet knee deep in the harvest and you will break for the loss. Come on. Somebody say amen. Praise the Lord. A new baptismal tank is coming up, okay? So we really want to uh, raise the funds and we just want to thank all those that have given and we want to continue to raise the funds for this because we believe that God is going to do awesome things in this ministry through our baptisms. How many of you guys can just imagine your children being baptized in this tank? We want to do another baptismal service in November. And so this is our, our, our pledge to you, our just ch charge, our challenge before you as a congregation that we will be able to raise the funds for this new baptismal tank. It costs $3,000, and so far we have raised $830. Come on, give it up for the Lord. We thank you so much for every giver that has given, and we just want to continue to encourage you. If somebody can just knock out that $170 today, we will have raised a thousand. So let's just just put our fleece before the Lord and say, God, we're gonna trust you. I'm gonna give out of abundance. Or I'm gonna give out of the little that I have. But I'm gonna trust that you, God, are gonna meet our needs. And so we believe in tithes and offerings here. And we just want to present this to you. Let's keep on giving. We have two thousand and one hundred and seventy left. Let's blow this out of the water. And again, we thank you for those that are giving. Let's continue to do it faithfully unto God because we believe that there is a future here of generations of generations that are going to come to the Lord and we're going to witness and testify to their baptism in the Lord as we buy this uh, tank because we could do it all throughout the year. We want to do it four times a year so we don't always have to wait for the summer months to do it outside. We can do it right here, right here in front of this altar. Just picture it. So no more baby pool, you know, six inches. We want this tank. How many of you guys want this baptismal tank for the church? Come on. Praise God. We're going to prepare to receive our tithes and offerings at this time. Somebody say money. money. It's not a bad word, okay? A lot of people feel like it's a bad word in church. I just want to encourage you, it's not bad, okay? God talks, uh, Jesus talked about money in the Bible, Okay, money is something that God has given to us. It's just a resource. We don't idolize it. It's not our God. It's given to us by God. And this is how God teaches us to control our money. It's through tithe and offering. And a tithe is a 10% of your total income. So how many of you guys know what 10% is? So if you have $500 check, how much will go to your tithe? $50. If you have $10, young people that your parents gave you as an allowance for the week, 10 bucks, what's a tithe off of $10? one dollar so let's be faithful to god in the tithe because that's how he teaches us to manage our our finances and then an offering is anything above that that you give between you and the lord and right now 
our offering is going towards our building fund. So if you want to give for the baptismal tank, please, on the envelope, check off building fund because we have two designations for our offering. It's building fund and then it's missions because we believe in missions. We want the world to know about Jesus. But for, for this project that we're doing and raising the funds for the baptismal tank, it's for our building fund. And so we believe in the tithes and offerings. And if you could please turn with me in your Bibles to Exodus 36, verse 3 through 7. Exodus 36, verse 3 through 7. I just want to encourage and teach a little bit about this right now. We thank you to all those have, that have been giving faithfully, and God is going to bless and honor you and prosper you. And I just uh, want to continue to just bring this before for you guys as a challenge that we put God first in our finances because everything else will flow in order in our lives. Because when God cannot be the boss of our money, then we won't really let him be the boss of everything else. Come on, thank you for that. Somebody's feeling that. Exodus 36, 3 through 7. If you are there, say, I'm there. Now, this is Moses. This is the story about Moses in the book of Exodus. The Israelites have just come out of Egypt, okay? And God is telling them, you guys got to start giving. Uh, God had commanded Moses to build the sanctuary, and so there are needs that the people of God have to meet. So the Israelites are having to give these offerings to Moses so that they can complete the building of this sanctuary. And you're talking it's made of pure gold and silver and fine threads and all this stuff. And so Moses got the command from God, and God said, go to the people and ask them to meet the needs of this project. So verse 3, they received from Moses all the offerings the Israelites had brought to carry out the work of constructing the sanctuary. And the people continued to bring free will offerings morning after morning. So all the skilled workers who were doing all the work on the sanctuary left what they were doing and said to Moses, the people are bringing more than enough for doing the work the Lord commanded to be done. Then Moses gave an order and they sent this word throughout the camp. No man or woman is to make anything else as an offering for the sanctuary. And so the people were restrained. They were restrained from bringing more because what they already had was more than enough to do all the work. Somebody say, praise God. We want this problem in our churches in America. Moses had to tell the people, stop bringing your offerings. We don't need any more. The, you know, the budget has been met. The need has been met. And that is our challenge to you this morning, people of God, that we would be generous with what God has given to us, faithful with the tithe, faithful giving to offering, because we want to come before you next week and say, stop giving. The baptismal tank is paid off. It's over. It's done. So let this be a challenge and an encouragement to us that God meets the needs of his people, and he does it through his people. So be encouraged, and let's give to God out of all that we have, because it all belongs to him. Amen? Let's stand up to our feet this morning, please, with me, as we prepare to pray and recite this passage of scripture. How many of you guys just love Jesus? Love learning about managing your money and putting God first and all that we do. It's for his glory. It's not for us to hoard it. We want Chicago to be one for Jesus. We want the lost to be saved. We want to be generous to those who are in need and win the nations for God. And it's through us. You know, we learned last week that you know, three-fourths, I think, was the, the percentage of the world's wealth is in America. Of all the money, out of all the, all the world, all the wealth is here. And even Christians, we're hoarding it. We don't want to be hoarders. Come on, let's be generous. Amen? Let's recite this together. Luke 6, 38. 
Give, and it will be given to you. A good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over, will be poured into your lap. For with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Let's pray this morning. God, we just thank you for your goodness and your faithfulness. We thank you for all that you have given to us, Lord. And out of your generosity, God, we look to you as our example. You gave freely, and now we freely give. Out of the blessing and the resources you've imparted to us. And I ask, oh God, that this month our budget will be met. We lift up the need of this baptismal tank, God. We know that you will do it according to your glorious riches in Christ Jesus. Provide for the needs of your people if they need jobs. I pray for jobs uh, to be opened up, for raises to be opened up, and I pray that we'll be blessed and prosperous for the glory and honor of your name, that the lost would be saved and come to know you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Come on. Come forward, please, as you give this morning. Man, how many love Jesus? Can I get an amen? Praise God. It's so good to have everybody here this morning. God is showing up and showing off. This weekend was just so powerful. I would like Pastor Jared just to come up and give a testimony about uh, what God did in our conference because this whole month we've been talking about preaching the gospel and then uh, Pastor Jared set up a conference to train you how to do it and it was yesterday and it was awesome and there's also shirts available and so Pastor Berto, would you grab one of them while he's talking? I want to show you guys. Uh, the, is that one of the new shirts? There it is. He's going to be our model. So here's the front, Chicago for Jesus. And then now turn. There we go. And then turn again and do a curtsy. There you go. Yes. Amen. Uh, uh, God is awesome. We at Chicago for Jesus, we have a vision of uh, uniting the church. And so we had the privilege of of working with another church, Evangel World Outreach Ministries, and, and they were just awesome. They have the same heart that we do for evangelism. So we unite the church. We equip the saints uh, to do evangelism. I mean, how, how many would like some confidence in sharing their faith? And we, we got to do that. And then winning the lost, of course. We had 40 people out there in Wicker Park, North and Damon. That's one of the most happening places in town, by the way. We were out there in, in, in force, owning every corner at the Blue Line Station, Folks were getting witness to hearing the good news about Jesus. And and then it's to change this city. The city needs Jesus. We, we agree. I, I was thinking about this as, as the shootings were happening, that we don't need uh, gun prohibition. We don't need government programs. We need gospel preaching in this city. Amen. And, and, and that's what we're doing. And, and that was a sign of God's favor that there was, again, 40 people 
you know, that's a big deal to have out on the corner. So it was, it was just a sign. God's blessing this. God is in this. We're always having events. We have a Facebook page. You guys can be plugged in. You can do stuff for Jesus too. Amen. Amen. That's what's up. Open up your Bibles with me to Mark chapter 3, verse 14. Man, I'm just blown away by what God is doing. Evangelism, discipleship, the life groups. Just think about that. You have a place to belong at Metro Praise. You go to a life group, single mom life group, that's cool. A married life group, hanging out here Sunday nights, the prayer life group. Man, you got so much to be a part of. Youth life groups, and then you can serve in your community. This morning, I was listening to Fox News. Chicago is all over the news again. Why? Because last year we were the murder capital. They say now, not only the murder capital of America, America, but the murder capital of the Western world. You're talking now all of Europe, all of Australia. I mean, they say right now young African-American men on the south side have a higher death rate than people living, the civilians living in Afghanistan. So you would be better off as a civilian living in Afghanistan than an African-American on our south side. Somebody say, God have mercy. And we know it's just not an African-American issue. It's all nations, all cultures that somehow come into this city and there's a spirit of violence that gets over them, a spirit of, of just take things and, and uh, steal things. I always look at the, uh, the Chicago Tribune mug shots, and I've been praying, and it's like I say, it's all different cultures, people from Europe, African-American, Latino, white, green, it doesn't matter. Our city needs Jesus. Now, Jesus gave us a solution to the problem. He didn't say get more politicians, though we need them to have order. He didn't say get more school teachers, though we need schools. He didn't say go out and build more community centers, though YMCAs are great. This is what he told us to do. Mark 3, 14. If you're there, say I'm there. He appointed 12 that they might be with him, that he might send them out to preach and to have authority to cast out demons. The answer to the violence and the problems of our city is the gospel of Jesus Christ. Hello, I was a high school dropout arrested eight times. I was tore up from the floor up. Do you know what changed my life? My mother preaching the gospel to me at a kitchen table November 5th, 1995 with drugs in my pocket. My mother led me to the Lord and cast out demons in the living room that were in my life. Can somebody say thank you, Jesus? Think about that. How did this drug dealer get saved? By the gospel, the power of God. How many of you are saved here this morning? How many of you has Jesus transformed your life? Maybe you didn't do the kind of things that I did, but you know what you did. It's all part of the same problem, lying, stealing, adultery of the heart, lusting. You know, these are the things that are corrupting our culture. The violence is just a, what we would call like a pimple. It's just kind of the thing that sticks out. But it's not the worst problem. The problem is we have a bad heart. We have a heart condition. We could keep popping the zits all day long, but we need to transform our heart because this city has a stone-cold heart. It needs to have a soft heart towards God again. Are you all listening to me? Look at your neighbor and say a heart transformation. Amen. Thank you. That's the only thing that can do it. Send this message to our mayor, Mayor Rahm Emanuel. We love you. We pray for this city. We need the gospel. That's what we need. 
It was times like this in the Bible and, and in the books of the Old Testament and the books of Acts that show us what happens when the gospel is preached. The Bible says in the book of Acts that they transformed cities by the preaching of the gospel. They brought forth their witchcraft, set it on fire. Do you know that right now there are other nations in the world like South Korea and Brazil, other nations that are seeing more revival than we are, and we're the ones that sent missionaries to their nations. But now they're putting in practice the gospel. They're putting into practice those principles. And now they're praying for America, that America would change. Come on, somebody say, Lord, have mercy. Amen. I want to preach to you a message, but before I do that, I want to give you the review of the three messages we've already preached. Look at these terms, the gospel. Everybody say the gospel. If you don't know what it is, it's the Greek New Testament word, evangelion. Everybody say evangelion. Thank you, because the New Testament Bible was written in Greek, so evangelion simply means good news. So what we're talking about this month is the good news of Jesus Christ. The longer definition is this, the good news concerning God's glory and humanity's salvation by the grace of God through faith in Jesus Christ. So the illustration I gave you last week is one hand into glory, Jesus put one hand into glory and the other one into gutter, into the gutter of this world and he brought the two together. Salvation is about Jesus bringing God's glory to lost mankind. Are you guys tracking? Okay, that is what it means when we say the gospel. What I am preaching is the life of Jesus who came from heaven to this earth to change sinners like you and me. That's what's going to change our world. Think about it. If the gospel doesn't transform our world, what are we going to put our hope in? We've already tried to put our hope in politics. Everybody said, what about six years ago? Let's put President Obama in. He'll be the first African American. This will be, uh, you know, a landmark event. He understands the common people. People showed up in Chicago, Grant Park. I just think it's amazing how Chicago's been the center of, of the stage and the focus of America lately. Isn't that something? I don't take that as a coincidence, by the way. Uh, and then the whole theme of our president was what? Change. Everybody remember that? And I'm not here to bash a president. I'm just here to tell you that one man, one government can't change the people's hearts. You can't regulate morality. You can't tell people from a pulpit or from the newscast what they're going to do or what they should do. People make that decision for themselves in their heart. And unless you have God to motivate you to live differently, there's nobody in a badge that's going to change you. How many know there's laws in America that say thou shalt not kill, don't, don't commit murder? But that's not motivating anybody. There's laws in America that tell, but it doesn't motivate. So if the gospel, which is Jesus' answer, is not our answer, can we then blame God for the problems we have? So if somebody today wakes up in Detroit and goes, God, where are you? Is that God's fault that our nation fell apart in Detroit? Is that God's fault? No, it's man's fault for not applying the gospel to the people in Detroit. It's because of corrupt politicians not believing what they swore on when they got into office to uphold what the Bible teaches, that we're made in the image of our God, and we have these unchanging, inalienable rights for life, liberty, and pursuit of happiness come from our Creator. Are you all listening? So the gospel is the foundation of that for not only this church, but for your job. The gospel needs to be the foundation for your job. And you say, what does that mean, pastor? Do I need to wear my Christian shirt to my job and become a fruit, nut, and a flake, a granola Christian on my job? You get it? Fruits, nuts, and flakes, granola Christian, put them all together. Do, do I need to be that weirdy? No. 
But what you do on your job, you treat others like how you want to be treated. See, that's the golden rule. But where is that golden rule rooted in? Is it just rooted in a man's opinion? Should I do unto others as I want done unto me? Just because somebody said so? Just because Mr. Rogers said so? Is that why I should do it? No, I do it because God said so. My creator commanded me to do this. What else did he say? Do all things as unto me. Uh, unto me. Whether you work, eat, sleep, whatever you do, do it unto me. So you're on your job. What should you do? Do your job as unto God. Do it with the best of the ability you have. Students, you go to school. You respect and honor your teachers. You help out your friends. That's how we do it, by living out the gospel in our everyday life. What about gospel preaching in the family? And by the way, we have daily devotions every day coming out on this series this month, lifechangingdevotions.com. Would you put it up there, please, and go to the 30-day series because I want them to see the messages that have already been there. Somebody say the gospel. Not only is the gospel the foundation for society, for your job, the gospel is the foundation for your family. Let me give you an illustration. I have right now some neighbors, and they're saying to me that their daughter, her friends, one of her best friends, her parents are in a lesbian relationship. And that makes them feel very uncomfortable to have their children be around kids that the parents don't reflect the same values. Now, before I, I go off topic onto the homosexual issue, which I don't want to, I want you to hear this. If you were proud of lying, I would say the same thing. If someone was proud of stealing, I would say the same thing. So I don't consider homosexuality a greater sin. I just consider it a sin, a deviation from God's commands. Okay, are you guys tracking with me? So the question would be, how do I send my kids to the house of a home that validates same-sex relationships? Or another question would be, how do I send my children to a home where they live together, the parents, but they're not married? Or how do I send my children to a home where alcohol or drugs are abused there? Is everybody getting what I'm coming from? So this question arised in his heart, but it was specific about homosexuality, but it brings out all of the details of the gospel to our family, which is how do our children relate to people in this world who don't value what we do? Go to the 30-day series. Sir, and then scroll down to the month that we're in. I want you to see if you don't have a gospel centered home, when you speak to your children about not lying, about waiting to have sex before marriage, all you're doing is giving them an opinion. And then when they hear another opinion from Katy Perry or from, uh, uh, you know, what's her name, uh, Cy uh, Miley Cyrus, or they hear an opinion from Oprah Winfrey who's been married, uh, living with a man all these years without being married, they're going to then say, well, I have a choice. Uh, I can accept my mom's opinion, my dad's opinion, or all these other people's opinion. But if your house is based on the gospel, everybody say the gospel. Now they understand that the gospel, Jesus said what sin is. Jesus says what righteousness is. So when we teach our children, this is why we're against same-sex marriage. It's not because they're not nice people. It's not because Ellen DeGeneres doesn't make me laugh or I don't think, uh, I think that she should be mistreated somehow. No, what I'm saying is, Ellen, you're no different than Brad and Angelina Pitt. You're doing something something that God commanded us not to do. Aunt Brad and Angelina live together, not married. Sin. Children, this is a sin. Family, as for me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord. I love you and I love them, but I'm not going to lie to you. I love you enough to tell you the truth. 
You might say, Pastor, I disagree with it. And that's fine. Disagree with it. But you can't put words into Jesus' mouth that aren't there. When people say something like, well, Jesus would never say that, you know what they're doing? They're making an idol, and they're calling this idol Jesus. But really, the idol is just a Reader's Digest, Oprah Winfrey, Kanye West version of what they think God is. They made a God in their own image and said, my Jesus, little puppet Jesus, my Jesus would never say you can't have sex before marriage. My Jesus said it would be okay to get drunk as long as I'm sorry. See, my Jesus, but here's the problem, your Jesus. Jesus doesn't exist. The Jesus that does exist, he spoke these commands. And so I may not tell you what you want to hear, but I'm telling you what you need to hear. And if I'm telling you the truth, whether you believe it or not, it will benefit you. You can stand on top of a building and say, I don't believe in gravity. But baby, if you jump off, you're going to see gravity believes in you. And you can say, oh, I don't believe in all those commands that come from the Bible. But when you jump off into eternity, you'll see those commands believed in you. You'll be held accountable. So I would rather be known as a Bible preacher and hated by men but loved by God than to be known as an ear tickler, man pleaser, to be loved by men and hated by God. I would rather preach it and teach it the way he said it. Amen? Here's what you have every day this month. This has been coming out already. You can sign up, lifechangingdevotions.com, the gospel defined, the nature of the gospel, how the gospel is spread, the penalty of not sharing the gospel, the four main parts of the gospel, the message of sharing the gospel, how to preach the gospel, the God of the gospel. Does anybody think we love the gospel around here? Four different responses to the gospel, the Old Testament in the gospel, Jesus and the gospel, the gospel in the book of Acts, Paul in the gospel, the gospel in church history, the gospel in modern Modern times, the gospel-centered house, the gospel in public witness, five excuses to not preach the gospel, sharing the gospel with friends, signs that follow the gospel, the role of the evangelist in the gospel, the role of the preacher in the gospel. Can somebody say amen? Hit on 22. This is day 22. You know, this is uh, 22nd day of September. This is what you would see this morning, the role of the preacher in preaching the gospel. We are trying to equip you with what we believe is not only the answer for your lost soul, but what is the answer for our whole entire world, our communities, our jobs, our families. If we all started in our homes and taught our children, this is what God said, then we would have a foundation to build on. And then if our teachers would honor the values of the parents and not the values of what they have on TV, they value what the parents value. That's why in the early 1800s and 1900s, textbooks were the Bible. What you memorized were the books of the Bible. You learned your ABCs. A is for Adam. B is for Bible. C is for Christ. D is for devil. That's how they would learn the ABCs. Our parents will transform a community. Then our working families will transform how we do things. It's starting right now. Are you with it? Somebody say, I'm with the gospel. That's just number one. Okay, let's go to number two, disciple. Going back to the review, everybody look at your name and say, this is the review. Amen. Disciple, because there has to be a certain person that takes this gospel to the world. We do believe that there's a certain kind of person. But here's the good news. It's for everybody. You can be this kind of person. I don't believe everybody is, but I believe everybody can be. And that is a disciple. Somebody say disciple. Thank you. The Greek word is mathetes. Everybody say mathetes. Mathetes. 
Thank you. It's mentioned, you you want to know how many times Christian is mentioned in the Bible? Christian is mentioned about three times in the Bible. You want to know how many times the word disciple, mathetes, is mentioned in the Bible? Over 250 times. You see, you can go around saying I'm a Christian, checking off on your religious census every year and feel like you're all right, but you're not doing what Jesus said. He said, if you want to be my disciple, deny yourself, pick up your cross, and follow me. That's what he taught us was to be disciples, mathetes, students, or pupils of his word. And here's where we go into this example I talked about last week, but I want to give it to you even better. When the police officer pulls over the person that's speeding and they say the law to them and they say, hey, we caught you speeding. If the person says back to them, the one that was caught in the car and says, hey, don't judge me, man. You can, who are you? You're not perfect either. I bet you speed. How many know the police officer is not going to listen to that? Because here's the situation. When we preach the gospel as disciples, people then want to say to you, don't judge me. Don't you? The Bible says, judge not lest ye be judged. But the problem is that they don't understand is that judge in the Old Testament, judge in the New Testament are people that uphold laws and people that make the laws. But we're not here upholding the law and we're not here making the law. All we are is like that police officer that sees somebody speeding and says, you're breaking the law. We are people as disciples that make others aware of breaking the law. So take this example now. If I say to the police officer, who are you to judge me? He's like, dude, I ain't a judge. I'm just an enforcer of the law. I'm here to tell you you're breaking the law. And if I say, I don't believe that, I'm going to take this ticket. I'm going to meet you in court. When I go to court, what is that judge going to do? The judge is going to then enforce the law. Are you guys listening? Now, you can hear this preacher preaching to you, and you can hear me enforcing the law in this church. And that's why we do church discipline. When people say they're a Christian and they stumble and fall and they try to hide it in this church, we'll say you can't claim to be a Christian and live in continual sin. We will help you through that sin, but we won't allow you to be a hypocrite in this sin. Are you guys listening? But they may say, oh, no, I want to be a Christian and live how I want. I was born this way, you know, like Lady Gaga. I was born this way. Now watch, you go to heaven. You stand before God, and God's going to do what? Uphold his law. He's going to say what they told you about breaking my law was not their opinion. It was my fact. It was my word. And you can also think of a textbook. You know, a teacher's teaching somebody math. You know, two plus two equals four, maybe in elementary school. And the student can doubt that. They can say, oh, I don't know if I believe that. They can then consult the textbook themselves. Is the textbook right just because a teacher talks about it? Or is the textbook true whether or not the teacher talks about it or not? So let's say you had a bad teacher, and the teacher goes, two plus two is five, and began to teach the students. If the student goes back in the textbook and goes, no, that's, that's not right, and then goes and researches other textbooks and goes, no, two plus two is you see, pastors can lie to you and go, no, you can do this and go to heaven. You can do that and go to heaven. Don't listen to the mother preachers. But if you go to your Bible, you'll find out what the truth is. So you can't make an excuse and say, well, this preacher told me that we can ordain homosexuals and same-sex people in our church because some churches are doing that. And my pastor told me I could pray to the lady of Guadalupe and then confess dark secrets to him in a little closet, and that would count as my confession. That's what they told me. No, it doesn't matter matter how many times they've told you two plus two is five. You better check the textbook, baby, because this is what's on the test right here. This is what's on the test. You go back to the Bible and say, God, what did you say about same-sex relationships? God, what did you say about lying and stealing? What did you say about adultery? What did you say? Look at your neighbor and say, that's what he said. 
Thank you, thank you, thank you. Now look at the next one. Preach, proclaim, evangelize. Three words that all say the same thing. The word preach, caruso. Everybody say caruso. Thank you. Proclaim. Everybody say diangelo. Thank you. And lastly, evangelize, evangelizo. Everybody say evangelizo. Thank you. These three words all mean the same thing, that we are to go out to preach, make known the gospel of Jesus Christ. We're to proclaim it like an old-timer back in the day heralding the news. I got the news, daily news, daily news. You know, we are to herald this message, proclaim it, and we are to evangelize, share it with everybody around us. These three things are the basis for what we're talking about today. Look at the scripture. Please scroll up. Mark 3, 14. He appointed 12. What were these 12 people called? What were they called? Were they called choir members? Nothing wrong with the choir, but is that what they were called? Were, were they called Christian concerteers? You know, did they go to Christian concerts all the time? Is that what they were known for? He appointed 12, and what were they? Disciples. Okay, so we got to be disciples. That they might be with them and send them out to preach. preach. There you go. What are they preaching? The gospel. They're preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now, here is the message of the gospel in four easy points. This is all review. Please uh, scroll down so they can see it. Say, God, man, Jesus, and faith. One more time, God, man, Jesus, and faith. Thank you. The first thing that we see in the gospel is that there's a God. We cannot be atheistic and have this, uh, have this world make any sense to us. If you found a watch on a beach, you would assume there was a watchmaker, right? If you found a watch on the beach, would you assume that a watch building exploded and over a million years the pieces came together and formed a fully functioning watch? If you go to Mount Rushmore, do you look at it and say, look what wind, rain, and uh, uh, the earth did over millions of years? Is that what you do? No. When you see a creation, it assumes a creator. We believe in a creator of the universe, matter, space, and time. So there is a God. And we believe that man is created in the image of that God. That's why we're not animals. Though we may be uh, classified that, but we are not that because we have a self-understanding, a free will, a conscious mind. Everybody just raise up your left hand. And whenever you want to put down your left hand, put it down. See, you did that. You did that. You're not a dog performing a trick. You have free will, and you're not living by instinct. You decide who you're going to be and what you're going to do. Animals don't have that same opportunity. And then you can do something right now that animals for sure can't do. Right now, think about what you're thinking. I didn't just say think. I said think about what you're thinking. Did you know that you can think about what you're thinking? You can contemplate your thoughts. You can contemplate good versus evil. Do you know that if you were in a situation where you saw a burning building and someone suffering, uh, maybe in the burning building, you could make a decision to run into that burning building or not run into that burning building. The thing that makes a choice between two choices, that choice itself is your conscience, your free will, your soul. It is not just your brain, chemical responses. It is a mind, a soul that lives within a physical body. Are you listening? And these are the ways you can know that you are here today is because you have a mind, you have a conscience, you have a free will. And God gave that to you, the Bible says. And we chose sin. We chose with our own free will to do something he told us not to do. 
He tested it. Some people may say, well, why did he give us that test? Well, if God did not want to give us that test, then he would have to take away free will itself. You can't just have good and good. You have to have a choice. So either God would make us robots without a choice, or God had to give us a legitimate choice. So the legitimate choice was good or evil. Nobody forced Adam and Eve's hand. They were tempted. They made their choice. Now, see how you've done since you've been born. How many choices of good and evil uh, during that time? How many good choices have you made? How many evil choices have you made? They say on average right now people lie one to two times a day. Just lying one to two times a day. Now I wonder if that's really an actual stat or whether or not people were lying because we don't know. People could be lying 10 times a day, but they were just circling the least. You know, it's like, do you lie one to two times, three to five, 10 or more? And everybody's just like, just one to two times, just one to two. How many days are in a year? 365. So if you're lying two times a day, how many lies have you told in one year? A whole lot. <laughs> yeah. If you live from the time you, ha you can know right from wrong, so let's say around six years old. My daughter already knows it at four what a lie is. But let's say from six years old to 80, that is 74 years times 365 times two lies a day. How many lies do you think an average person tells in their lifetime? A whole lot. That's just lying. How many times do you think we lust in a day? How many times do you think we take something that doesn't belong to us? How many times do you think that we're bitter, unforgiving, doing things out of selfish ambition? How many times do we put ourselves before others, not treating them as we would want to be treated? You put that all together. The very fact that you're a sinner and alive is already the mercy of God. Why is God allowing sinners to be alive? Why doesn't he just destroy us all? Because if he wanted to destroy evil, we would be the first people he would have to destroy because we're the ones creating and doing evil upon this earth. So what does he do? He looks at man, and he sees man's sinfulness, and he sends Jesus Christ. God the Son came in the flesh, born of a virgin, lived a sinless life to be our sacrifice for the sins that we have justly committed. We knew we committed them. We deserve the punishment, but Jesus Christ took our punishment, and he rose again on the third day, ascended to heaven, and now he is there at the right hand of the Father interceding for us. So the question isn't whether or not you got milk, baby. The question is, do you got Jesus? Do you got Jesus in your life today? Because you can go to hell with a milk mustache, but you can only go to heaven with Jesus Christ. He said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one goes to heaven but by me. Amen? This isn't a spiritual buffet. I'll take a little Jesus with a little Muhammad and some Buddha on the side. This is my Chinese buffet for religion right here. No, he's the only way. He's either Lord of all or he's not Lord at all, baby. God, he created us in his, in his image. We have the power of choice. We have free will. God then saw man commit sin. And instead of destroying us, he had mercy on us. He sent us his commands trying to correct our path. And when we continually broke those commands that God gave Moses, he sent himself, his son, in the form of a man to die for us. And then lastly, everybody say faith. And how are we saved? By putting our full trust in God and confessing Jesus as Lord. We are not saved by our works. We don't try to wash our car and then bring it to a car wash to impress Jesus. Look, Jesus, I've washed my car so clean. Now wash me. God, look, I've changed my life so much. Now save me. No, we come just as we are, as dirty, rotten sinners. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. 
I once was lost, but now I'm found. I once was blind, but now I see. If you think you're all right, then you can't come to Jesus because Jesus says, this road is narrow and few there be that find it. And the only ones that find it are those who confess their weakness, beat on their chest, as the Bible says. It says, Lord, forgive me. I am a sinner in need of a Savior. Is there room at the cross for me? Is there room at this cross for me, Jesus? That's the one that he saves. That's why a drug dealer can be saved. That's why today people in the jails can be saved. Because sometimes the worst among us, they understand their need for salvation. But he said sometimes the rich, it's harder for them to go into the kingdom of heaven than it is for a camel to go through the eye of a needle. And let me help you out here, American Christian or American church attendee. You're rich in comparison to Jesus' day. And you are very much in danger of falling under that warning if you don't see your need for Jesus because you have a beautiful house, a nice car, a good education, and you overlook those multiple hundreds and thousands of sins in your life and you deceive yourself. I am compelling you today. I am pleading with you today. Come to Jesus and let him show you who you are. You're not going to be compared to Hitler on Judgment Day. He's not going to say, now here's Hitler. How many of y'all were better than Hitler? Oh, me, Jesus, me. All right, come on down. You're better than Hitler. We're putting you into heaven. He's not going to compare you to Hitler. He compares you to Jesus Christ. He compares you to God the Son who is the perfect image of the Father. How do you compare to Jesus? So when we come to Christ in faith, we are no longer comparing ourselves to Jesus. Jesus now gives his righteousness to us. We now have the very same righteousness of Christ. I'm not in a competition with Christ. I come under the blood and the atonement of Jesus Christ. And when the Father sees me or sees those who are saved, he doesn't see a sinner. He sees someone that's saved by grace, a saint of God. He sees the sacrifice and the righteousness of Jesus. Thank you. The Bible says we are the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. Somebody say, I'm in Christ. I become a part of his salvation. God, man, faith. Uh, God, man, Jesus, faith. Now there are seven things that the gospel brings. This is all review. Look at your neighbor and say he's preaching. Come on. See, I got to preach when we talk about preaching. Seven things salvation will bring. This is why the gospel is so important. Remember, the gospel is the good news. We're disciples, and we're to preach, proclaim, evangelize it. And what are we talking about? God, man, Jesus, faith. Here it is, seven things, new creation. When you come to Jesus Christ, you're made new on the inside. You're born again. The Bible says whoever is in Christ Jesus is a new creation. The old has gone. Behold, all things have become new. Literally, when it says new, the Bible doesn't say you come back like a baby. No, you are a new version of you that has never existed up until that point. November 5th, 1995, baby, I became the, the new addition of Joe. I have never been the same since. When did Jesus Christ make you new that's the important part we're talking about he changes sinners into saints he doesn't come just to make bad people good he comes to make dead people live you become a new creation number two redemption he buys you back from legal obligation you were a slave of sin your sin deserves punishment you deserve it look at your neighbor and say you deserved it if you stood before a judge with a 1,000 parking tickets, would you not deserve some punishment? We just determined that you've lied tens of thousands of times. Don't you deserve punishment? 
but he redeems us. He says to the Father, I'll take their wrath upon me. Give me their wrath. And after he satisfied the wrath of God, he said, it is finished. And then when he rose again, Matthew 28, he says, all authority and power and in heaven and earth belongs to me. So he can buy back whoever believes in him. So if you believe in him, you are bought back from the devil in the power of sin. Redemption. Number three, everybody say reconciliation. Reconciliation means to bring two parties together that once were at odds with each other. The Bible says before we came to Christ, we were at odds with God. We would hear him speak to our heart, but we still chose to sin. We would hear him tell us to forgive our enemies, but we still didn't. We thought we were right to be bitter. Who are, who are they to receive our forgiveness? They don't deserve it. We were then God's enemy because God commanded us to tell the truth. God commanded us not to lie. God commanded us to forgive our enemies. But the moment we accept Jesus into our heart, the Father no longer is the judge who is going to punish our sin. He is now our Father who forgives our sins, adopts us into the family of God, and gives us the inheritance of His Son, Jesus Christ. And that's where we talked about last week at the end of Psalms 23 where He says at the beginning, the Lord Lord's my shepherd, I shall not want. But at the end, he says, I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Sheep now get to live with the shepherd. I don't know about you, but that sounds crazy. A sheep not living in the barn, but rather living in the house. You see, we go from being these dirty things of our own doing to becoming his very children, living and dwelling with him forever. He said in the book of Revelation, the last book, on that day he wipes away every tear from our eye. All death, pain, and sorrow is taken away. And he says, I will be their God. And they will be my children. Woo! Can you get excited about that day? Number four, atonement. Some of you excited. That's okay. I'll keep preaching. Number four, atonement to bear the sins of others to bring forgiveness. We've mentioned that in a lot of the other points. Number five, salvation to save from destruction. Sometimes we think about the gospel like it's that upgrade. You know, imagine if you got a raise, promotion on your job. You're making a couple hundred thousand a year. You go to buy that new Range Rover, and that car salesman knows that you got the money, and he knows he's going to make a sale that day. So what he wants to do is just upsell you. Hey, look, man, we got the Navstar navigation system here. You know, was that OnStar? Yeah, OnStar. Not a lot of people have here. That's okay. The OnStar navigation system. We want to give you the sunroof. We can also put on some what 22s what would look good on a on a, on a Range Rover 22s yeah 22s we're going to put all this we're going to black out the windows you know let me give you an upgrade and then some people go no I'm okay I'm okay just with the Range Rover as it is. It's just standard model is all, all I want. And sometimes when people hear the gospel, hear about Jesus, giving their life to him, praising and worshiping him, living, obeying his commands, they say, no, no, I'm good. I just got Jesus on Christmas and Easter. Christer, I got the standard model. I'm okay. Listen to me. You're not okay. You're not driving the Range Rover in this example. You're sitting in your own dung in a sewage pit, not going anywhere on your way to hell. Jesus Christ is offering you salvation. If you don't accept it, you will perish. It's not John 3.16, for God so loved the world that whoever believes in him should not have a bad day and just drive an okay car and have an okay time in heaven. No, it's whoever does not believe in him, whoever believes in him shall not not perish. Look up that word perish. It means destroyed eternally. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. 
When you come to Jesus and you accept the gospel, you get saved. And if you say I'm saved and I can't tell, then there's a problem. Because you should get saved from a potty mouth. You could get, should get saved from hanging with the wrong friends. You should get saved from pornography, mister. You should get saved from living a greedy life. What are you saved from? You're saved from sin, Satan, and hell, somebody. Come on. You're saved from all three of those sin, sins. Of things. Sin, Satan, and hell. Next one. Everybody say Justification. To make right or just. Everybody say justified, never sinned. That word justification also is in another tense, justified. When Jesus Christ saves you, it's not like he's trying to save you now for the rest of your life. You're either saved or you're not. The day you come to Christ, you don't come to him kind of like as a dirty water bottle. And then he says, well, I'm going to start the filtration process now. And throughout your whole life, I'll keep filtering all the junk out your life. And then one day when you die and go to heaven, you'll be that unblemished bottle of water. No, the day he saves you, he filters you and cleans you justified never sinned I become the righteousness of Jesus Christ he said be ye perfect for your heavenly father in heaven is perfect that's not in heaven that's today I am perfectly saved by the blood of Jesus now if you put any bit of anthrax in there any bit of dirt into pure water you can imagine now that purifying system going off boop, boop, boop. we have a problem there's sin in the tank there's something that doesn't belong that is what sin is in the believers life not their normal habit, not their identity. It is that strange thing. It is that uncommon thing, that dirty thing that enters their life that must be repented of immediately. And the Bible warns that if you continue uh, Hebrews 10, 26, if you keep on sinning after having received the knowledge of the truth, there therefore remains no more sacrifice for sin, but only a certain terrifying expectation of judgment. So after God has cleansed you and made you new in the righteousness of God, and you're justified, if you continue in sin and you don't let God filter it out of your life, you will perish and you will lose what he once gave you. And the Bible warns us about backsliding and turning our back on the Lord. He says, don't be defiled. He says, don't lose your crown. He says, don't shipwreck your faith. He says, don't put your hand to the plow and look back. All of these things are warnings. So be saved and stay saved. Everybody say, stay saved. The Bible says, work out your own salvation in fear and trembling. How many have been hearing the Bible today without us reading it? How many have been hearing it? How many know there's a preacher that knows the Bible? Amen. Look at your neighbor and say, he knows a thing or two. And he's kind of humble too. No, I'm, I'm kidding. I'm just, I felt bad after I said that. I was just saying it. Number seven, somebody say sanctification. And lastly, it means to stay pure from sin, to be holy. These seven things is what the gospel brings. So what do we've learned today? Our terms is the gospel, to be a disciple, to preach, proclaim, evangelize. We're talking about God, man, Jesus, and faith. What, what happens when we receive that gospel? Everybody uh, put it up there. Let's say it together. We become new creation, redemption, reconciliation, atonement, salvation, justification, and sanctification. Everybody give the Lord a hand clap. Come on. Thank you, Jesus. That's what you do. Are you ready for today's message? Say, I'm ready. Today's message is why we preach. Today's message is why we preach. Those are the last three messages I just gave you there. And I'm purposely giving you more introduction. I'm giving you message. I, I know I'm doing that. I don't want to scare some of you. But I'm doing it on purpose because I want it to accumulate that when we end it next week, and you get it all together, you'll have the complete package. 
And you'll say, like a good teacher, my pastor gave it to me in such a way that I can understand it. I'm here to preach because that's what Jesus wants me to do. This is what I'm preaching the gospel. I'm a disciple. This is how I do it. These are the things that are happening, these seven things, while I'm doing it. And now today, this is why I'm doing it. Because it's one thing just to get hyped and excited while the preacher's preaching and you're in church and you know it's right. It's another thing to live it out in your everyday life. Because it comes with a cost. It does. It comes with a cost. I know that when my wife and I, we moved into our new neighborhood and we wanted to make an intentional um, a habit of reaching our neighbors, I knew that as I began to share my faith with them, I would risk being ridiculed. I would risk no longer being their friend. I know that for many of you on your job, it's not the right time or the place. And so you want to share your faith maybe on a break or invite a coworker over. And you know that by doing that, you may risk the way they look at you. They may change the way they think about you. For some of you in school, you may risk losing your friendships. For those of us here that have unsaved family members, maybe believing in some of the things that I was teasing about, the buffet religion, maybe you have a friend that prays to the saints or goes to confession, or you have a family member, a close family member that likes to do yoga or meditation, yoga with a spiritual mindset, not just for stretching, but they do it, you know, as a mantra. And you know that if you share with them just what Jesus said, you know, this is a sin, but he'll forgive you, you know that you may lose that friendship. I'll never forget the time that I had to put my foot down with my sister because she kept coming drunk to my house. And, and uh, it was just something that I had to say to her. I had to say, you can't come anymore until you stop drinking because I'm going to have a gospel-centered house. I love you. I'll, I'll meet you at my parents'. I'll, I'll, I'll hang out with you in other places. But she would come over, and she would always have like a bottle, uh, I mean like a, a water bottle type thing, like those um, you know, plastic ones, and she would have her alcohol in there, and she would just get drunk every time she was with me and my wife. And I just said, I, just, I don't want this around my family. Now, praise God, she stopped drinking, and she comes around. But I had to put my foot down because before that, I had said, this is a sin. I said, we can't, you know, we got to help you. But there was a point that she put her foot down herself and said, I don't want to change. Then I had to make my mind up because the, Bi the Bible says bad company corrupts good character. See, it gets quiet when I preach like this, but it's tight, but it's right. You have to make decisions. And I'll never forget as well, one time I was a young man, 19 years old, living in uh, Fort Wayne, Indiana. We started doing outreaches. And I remember um, one of the young men came to me and he said, Joe, uh, you know, you just got saved, and, and we've been in the youth group for a while, and, and, and we all like going out and doing stuff with you. But, uh, you know, the people that you've been hanging out with wanted me to tell you because they're kind of afraid to tell you that, that they don't like you judging them all the time. And, and I said, well, what do you mean? And, and he said, well, you, you keep talking about, you know, not having sex before marriage and that they should stay away from these kinds of things and that, you know, getting drunk is wrong. And these are people in the church. And he said, he said, you know, you know we like you, and we, we think you're cool, and we, we want to be around you, but you got to kind of lay off of it. And then I remember looking at him in the eyes, and I looked at him in the eyes, and I said, dude, I can't do that. I said, man, I was selling drugs from the time I was 16 years old. You guys have been playing church as hypocrites. This is real to me. 
It's all or nothing. I've given up all my friends. I've given up the girl I was living with. I've given up everything just to be here right now. I can't compromise this. And tears started coming down his eyes. And he said, man, I wish I had faith like that, Joe, but I don't want to give up my friends. I don't want to give up my friends. We both went to Bible college. She dropped out in a year. And I finished. And you want to know why? It's because he decided as a teenager that he was going to let his friends, his social club, what his peers thought about him, determine the kind of person he was going to be. And I know many of you, I'm not naive. I don't come up here and get you all shouting and think I'm sending you to a yellow brick road. I know some of you are going to have conversations like that. You're going to have conversations with family members and friends and co-workers, and they may even have tears coming down their eyes. Maybe someone's in a same-sex relationship, or they're living together, and they're not married, and you're just like, this is not what God intended. And they may have tears coming down their eyes. Well, we can't get married because if we do, we'll lose our benefits, or we'll, we won't be able to collect a Social Security check, or some. I've even heard that. And they may have tears coming down their eyes and say, I can't do it. But you have to make a decision and say, hey, this is what I'm doing. And if you're going to keep going down this road and calling yourself, the problem is when they call themselves a Christian. Because the Bible says you call yourself a Christian and do that. I have to be careful of putting my life in your hands and being around you. Because in this way of me being influenced by you, I may begin to think the way you do. And I don't want to think that way. I want to play a video for you. They're going to get it ready as we get ready to preach this message. It's from the Band of Brothers miniseries. And I don't play a lot of videos in church, but, man, this is, like, my favorite uh, miniseries ever, if you guys like World War II stuff. And in this part of the video, you're talking, these boys come from small towns, most of them, and uh, they joined the army, you know, to, to, to fight Hitler's regime and to stop communism, you know, on the east, uh, I mean, uh, the, the two fronts with Japan and, and with Germany. And so these boys get trained up. They're in the 101st Airborne Division. They, they fly over Normandy. They get dropped in on D-Day. They have to fight all literally across Europe, France, and they come all the way through into Germany eventually. And they did not know, the soldiers, because Band of Brothers is based on true stories, they didn't know that they were mass the Germans were mass murdering the Jewish people. They didn't know that. Berto, would you hit this light off for me, please? And so this part of the movie shows them fighting after years. They're now coming into the Polish and, and German-held territories. And they begin to see what the Holocaust really was. And they didn't know. And it shocks them. And the title of it is, Why We Fight. Let's play this video. Stand back. 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 Mm. 
Have you seen any of your men speak German? No, sir. We need leave God. Leave God! Limpton, find yes, me leave God. Yes, sir. Leave God! Leave God! Leave God! Major needs you up front right now. Sure. All right, boys. These people need care. Give them water and any spare rations you might have. Grab me some blankets, quick. Oh, my God. Dick? Jesus, Webb, can you believe this place? No. We said the guards left this morning, sir. I want you to think about this. I want you to think about this image that you're seeing. You can share it off for me, please. I want you to think about why we preach the gospel. Why do we go on the streets? Why do we go to the west side every Wednesday? Why do we stand in front of the high schools? Why do we go downtown? Why do we go to Wicker Park? It's because I believe that's what people look like without Jesus. The Bible says the thief, he comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. And that's what sin does to us. And sometimes you may not see it when you look at the businessman or the entertainer, but that's what they look like on the inside. The devil is stealing joy from them. And when you look at your coworker, they may look like just everything's okay, but on the inside, that's what's happening. And we have to ask ourselves, are they worth it? Are they worth me being embarrassed? Are they worth Ten rejections to find the one that will receive it. Are they worth it? Is the West Side worth it? Is Prosser and Shures and Foreman and the schools we go to, are they worth it? Are the people that we're reaching out to in this community, are they worth it? Are your family members worth the risk of humiliation or shame or embarrassment? Are they worth it? I believe God is going to hold us accountable as Christians to what we did for a hurting and dying world. What did we do with the gospel that Jesus gave us? Because if there's really a heaven and there's really a hell, then that's what it looks like. 
And yet we can come and set the captive free. Do you know that's what Jesus said? Jesus said, turn there with me, Luke chapter 4, verse 18. Jesus says, I have come to preach the gospel to the poor. Not talking about dollars and cents poor, but poor like you saw there. Poor in their spirit, emaciated with no health. Lacking anything, no one to help them. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me. This is what Jesus said. Because he's anointed me to proclaim, to preach, to evangelize. Good news, the gospel to the poor. When he said to those 12, you go and preach the gospel, they were to go and do what he was called to do. To keep on preaching what he was preaching and to reach those he was reaching. We're to preach, to reach, to teach, to preach again. We preach, to reach, to teach, to preach again. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind to set the oppressed free and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. That God doesn't want to send you to hell. God so loved you that he sent Jesus. He wants to be reconciled with you. He wants to take away your sins, your guilt, and your shame. He wants to favor you. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me. That's what Jesus said. And then in Acts chapter 1, go there with me now. Acts chapter 1 verse 8. He said, now that same Holy Spirit that came on me for the sake of preaching the gospel is now going to come on you for the sake of preaching the gospel. You're not to just preach the gospel in your own words, your own eloquence of speech, or just with your own ability, because sure you may be shy, sure you may be intimidated, but you're to preach by the power of the Holy Spirit, the third person of the God nature. He said, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the ends of the earth. You know how you could translate that today? You'll be my witnesses in your neighborhood, in the neighborhoods around you, in the cities surrounding them, and to the ends of the earth. Do you want to preach the gospel like Jesus? Why? Because lost souls are in the balance. That's why. I want you to hear a personal testimony about Pastor Vanessa and how God used her in her high school to reach a very special someone. Pastor Vanessa, would you come, please? She's not here. That's okay. Pastor Berto, were you next on the list? Did you have your testimony? Okay, come on up. Let's give it up for Pastor Berto. I told our pastors to be ready. Uh, it's been about a year. It was a year ago. My wife and I were leading a life group. We went out to the park in Portage Park, and we were just sitting out on the grass, sharing the word of Jesus Christ to one another. And before we did that, every every thing at that time was every Sunday we would go out and witness. So we went to Portage Park. We just started to witnessing. Salvador was with me, and uh, we just went out to see who we can see and find and just preach to. And we met Amy. And David, they're right there. And we just begin to preach to them. And we just begin to tell them about Jesus Christ and the love that he has for us and how he gave his life for us on the cross. And they came to church, you know. Um, 
Amy, she testified this morning, those that were here. Um, and it was, what a, powerful, what a powerful testimony for those that heard it. God set her free from fear, set her free from, from just the fear that the enemy brought in her life, you know, for her children and just every, every, every type and shape and form of fear that you can think of was upon her. But Jesus Christ set her free. And all the glory goes to Jesus Christ. Salvador for preaching to, 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 to David, you know, and, and we were just pouring to both of them. Today, she's in the process of going into the two-on-one discipleship. She's gone through the one-on-one through with my wife, and all the glory goes to Jesus Christ. Amen. She's free. Amen. Jesus Christ is about that. There is an Amy outside in the streets. Amen. There is an, more than one Amy out there that is bonded with fear. It can be different. It can be a different thing. It can be depression. It can be, it can just be anxiety. And we just have to be obedient to go out and look for them and preach to them and present them Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. Wow. Think about that. Pastor Vanessa was scheduled, but she wasn't prepared. She wasn't here. And so I call on Pastor Burke, because each one was going to share a testimony this week. Jared did last week, and his testimony is about the woman who testified this morning. Every service, we start with the personal testimony, and Amy shared it. Powerful. If you weren't here at the beginning of service, there's a motivation to come early and be on time. And if you missed it, ask her to share it with you. It's powerful. Here's five reasons why we should preach in closing today. Rachel, would you come? I'm going to do my best to now end in prayer. But these are the five points. I seem to get the points out better in the next week's uh, review. But uh, here they are for you. Number one, we preach for the glory of God. The Bible says that all things are for his glory. So when we go and rescue the lost, we're doing it for Jesus. So if people reject us and others don't want it and they don't know who they are on the inside, that doesn't discourage us from doing what we're supposed to do. We need to be faithful to do it for God's glory. You won't be rewarded in heaven or judged in heaven by based on people's rejection of the gospel. But you'll be judged and rewarded based on your willingness to preach it. So is God worth it? You're not going out there saying, can I tell you about my autobiography, are you? Are you? Are you asking to talk to your neighbor about the great exploits you did in life? Hey, neighbor, let me talk to you about five minutes about all the cool things I've done. No, but in honesty, that's not what we normally talk about ourselves. But you're not doing that. When you go out and preach the gospel, you're saying, neighbor, co-worker, friend, family, can I talk to you about what Jesus did? As I'm giving you these five things, the ushers are going to hand out one of these to you. It's a free book of John along with our church flyer and the gospel on the back. We've been giving one out to you every week because we want to challenge you to give it out to somebody. Just find one person, give it out to them. And if you're like, Pastor, I want 100, we've got 100 in the back. Take as many as you want. This is the first step. It's just giving somebody some Bibles, some literature, how to be born again. But hopefully, now that we're coming to the end of this series and with the training, you're ready to actually talk to somebody. Be like, hey, this is what God did for me. You know, start with your testimony. And then share with them what God will do for them. We preach for the glory of God. Number two, we preach for the love of God. How many think God loves your neighbors? How many think God loves your coworkers? Do you think God loves them? as much as he loves you? What about the people of different religions, those that are Hindu or Buddhist or Muslim? Do you think God loves them? Does God love a Jehovah Witness? What about Roman Catholics? Does he love them as much, less, or more? How much? 
as much. The Bible says he loved the whole world. The same love. When I look at Bethany, Hannah, and Lucas, same love. Same love. He loves them for the love of God. Think about that, for the love of God. Haven't you heard that in the culture before? For the love of God, man. For the love of God. Put some more hot sauce on that pizza, man. For the love of God. Put some more Goya on there. <laughs> but think about that statement, like literally, for the love of God. And, man, I hope we can sing that song for the sake of the world at the altar today. For the love of God, I preach. For the love of God, I talk to my neighbors. Last Friday, I was sitting at their table. They're, they're from India. They're Hindu. And I bought a book by Ravi Zachariah to give to them. Some of you might have seen it on Facebook. And this is awesome for me, man, because I've never done this with a neighbor before. But I've been really asking the Lord to use me just in ways I've never been used. And God's just given me favor. And I was sitting at the table, and I was talking to them. They shared with me their religion and the mantras that they do and, and how strong it is that they believe in many gods and these different things. And, and I just said, would you read this for me? And I wanted him to read just John 3.3. 3. You know, Jesus declared, said to Nicodemus, I tell you the truth, unless you're born again, you cannot see the kingdom of heaven. But when I gave it to him to read, he just kept reading and reading. And he read the entire rest of the chapter of John chapter 3 in this book, by the way. And as I was sitting at that table, think about this, a family from India that is Hindu, I said to myself, that scripture probably has never been read in their home before. Think about the light that just turned on that day. Maybe it wasn't a spotlight, but there was a match that was lit that day. For the love of God, I reached out to my neighbors. For the love of God, I wanted him to hear the book of John. For the love of God, do you want your friends to hear the book of John, God's love? Do you want people to be saved? For the love of God, do it. Go out and preach to them then, right? Number three, for the salvation of all mankind. Wow. So no matter what, we're doing it for God's glory and for God's love. No matter what. Even if nobody listened, I could tell you stories about missionaries. Victor Plymeyer, one of my favorite missionaries to Tibet, spent his whole life in an area where they never really accepted the gospel. He lost his wife and his daughter on the mountainsides of Tibet in the Himalayan mountains. And at the end of his life, there was only 100 people that accepted Jesus. He had lost his wife and daughter there, and he went at least 10 years without seeing one soul saved. But yet he went out there every day tracking on those Himalayan mountains. Victor Plymeyer. There's another story like it right now in the Middle East. I could keep you here all day about missionaries that have laid down their life. But the beautiful thing is, is God saves people. We'll see God's glory. We'll see his love. And, but we're going to see people saved. I promise and guarantee every one of you here, if you stay faithful, God will make you fruitful. If you stay faithful to talk to your neighbors, God will make you fruitful in the gospel. If you stay faithful to preach to your co-workers, God will make you fruitful in making a disciple. If you stay faithful in praying for your family members, he'll make you fruitful in seeing one of them saved. You just have to remain faithful. For the love of God, for the glory of God, for the salvation of all mankind. Number four, for the kingdom of God to come to earth. The Lord said, pray like this. When you pray, pray like this. Dear Jesus, I pray you bless us for and no more. 
Is that how he taught us to pray? When you pray, pray like this. Oh, God, I'm going through so many problems. I just don't know what to do. I just don't know what to do with myself. I've got so many problems. Is that how he taught us to pray? Lord, I pray you get them. I pray you get you get my coworker. I pray you bless them real good, Jesus. Bless them, Lord. Is that how he told us to pray? He said, when you pray, pray like this. Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Thy kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. Thy kingdom come, God. Come down here, Lord. Manifest your glory here, Lord. Give wisdom here. Give prosperity here. I don't need to get healed when I get to heaven. I don't even have a body anymore. We need healing down here. We need freedom down here, Jesus. When was the last time you prayed like that? Lord, your kingdom come on my job. Does your job belong to that owner, that boss, or does it belong to God? Hello, my friends. We can trade stocks. We can trade gold. Who does it really belong to? God, your kingdom come. I just dare you. I double dog dare you to pray on your way to work every day this week. Lord, your kingdom come on this job as it is in heaven. He'll make a way. Don't do what I'm trying to do. Don't think I'm trying to tell you to do a certain thing to get you fired. No, pray every day this week on the way to work. Lord, how do I make your kingdom come on this job as it is in earth, uh, as heaven as it is in earth? Give me a way to do it. God will tell you how to do it as a teacher, as a businessman, as a construction worker. God will show you how to make his kingdom come. Lastly, for the eternal rewards of heaven. One day, Jesus is going to say to you, well done, good and faithful servant. Now enter into the rewards I have for you. Don't you want to see a reunion in heaven? Don't you want to see your friends and family there? Those are going to be your rewards. You get to see them in heaven forever. They aren't lost. They're saved. Would you stand to your feet today? Uh, band, would you come? Altar workers, please. Why do we preach? We preach for this. Because God's love is worth it. God is worth it. The salvation of lost mankind is worth it. God's kingdom coming to this earth is worth it. And seeing them in heaven forever, that's why I'm preaching. Would you just bow your head and just close your eyes with me? Oh, Jesus. Let's just pray right now. Maybe just in your own words. Would you just pray and ask the Lord to make this real in your life today? Come on, just close your eyes. We close our eyes not to focus on the other people around us, to hear the voice of God in our heart. Come on, just do that right now. Oh, God, make this message real. Let all that we heard today saturate us. Start in me, Jesus. If you're not right with God and there's some things in, in your life that you're doing that you know aren't right, why don't you ask the Lord to forgive you right now? Come on, ask Him to clean you, cleanse you. Don't walk out of here going, well, I'm not good enough. I can't do that. That's not an excuse. Jesus made you good enough. Jesus will cleanse you of any sin. So for those that are here today and you're like, man, I'm battling with this sin. God hasn't changed me yet. Well, let's believe he changes you right now. 
And as others are praying that, maybe you're a Christian, you're right with God, you know, your hands are clean, your heart is pure, but you deal with fear. You know, public speaking is a fear of most people. Maybe you deal with the fear of rejection. You don't want to be rejected. Would you just ask the Lord right now, say, Lord, give me the words to speak. Give me the power to share my testimony. Come on, the band's just going to sing softly in the background just as you're praying right now. If you're not right with God, get right. If you need to be empowered, let him fill you. Before we pray for you, let God do it. Let God do it. I challenge you right now. In your own way, touch heaven and let him change you. For the sake of the world, Yes, God. Light a flame in my soul for every do it, God. to see. For the sake Take away of our fears. Forgive us of our sins. And let it start in us today. For the sake. Oh, God. For the sake now, as the band is playing, I want you to think about three people in your life that you can reach out to that you can give this book to you can invite to church you can take them out to lunch come on and if you don't have three say Lord give me three give me three my hairdresser a waiter today at the restaurant I've seen waiters come to the Lord I've had my hairdresser come to the Lord right now three people Jesus give us three Steve God I pray for his family today his wife Michelle Ava and Lexi, their daughters, Lord. Save them, Jesus. Give me a word to speak. Oh, I pray for Larson today, God. Pray for his wife and kids, God. Use me, Lord. Use me, God. Take away timidity, fear in my life, God. Lord, Vivek and Ashta, Lord. Their beautiful family. Use me, God. Give me words to speak. Pour out your love on them. Pour out your love, God. Let their hearts be prepared, God. Satan, loose them in Jesus' name. We bind your power over their life. Are you praying for your three? As the band plays, pray for them a little bit more. Make it personal this morning. For the sake of the world, fire me. Light a flame in my soul. For the sake of the world, but I can Come on, one more time. 30 seconds for those people right now. Push in. Don't get tired, y'all. Let's go. Come on, let's touch heaven and change earth this morning. Do it, Lord, in our neighborhood, on our jobs, friends and family, neighbors, God. For the sake of the world. Amen. Would you all look up at me before we dismiss? We're now going to pray. These altars will be open. If you want prayer for your walk with the Lord, uh, anything you're dealing with, we'll pray with you up here. Any addiction, problem, healing, 
family trouble, anything. We're going to pray up here. Altar workers will be here. But I'm believing that most of you aren't going to need this today. You're going to need this final last prayer. So this is what I want you to do. I want you to hold your neighbor's hand. And I want you to go across the aisles and altar workers, I want you to hold hands. And I want you to look at the neighbor to the left of you and say, neighbor, I'm praying you preach this week. Woo! Now look to your other neighbor on the right side and say, neighbor, I'm praying you preach today. Chris is going to close us out in prayer, but as he does, just lift up your neighbor because I believe the Holy Ghost is not going to let them forget your prayer. He's going to remind them this week when they're on their job, when they're with their family, the Lord's going to go, hey, uh, I want you to preach here. Tony prayed for you, and this is that opportunity. He's going to put it on their heart. How many know that God will do that? Chris, close us out as we're praying for our neighbors today. Amen, amen. Lord, we just thank you, God, for this fire, God, for this understanding of what it means to truly live according to your will, God, to bring the love, God, and just, just let it flow out through us, God. We thank you for giving us the opportunity. Lord, for all of us that are here, God, is because someone preached to us, God, yes. all the work that you have done. Lord, we thank you in Jesus' name for all of it, God. And right now, God, we just thank you for what you're going to do, Lord. All those people that we've been praying for, everyone that we see, God, we, I just pray right now, God, fill us with that love and that heart, God, to go out and just speak to someone. Find someone out these doors to just to, to fill them with a love, God, just to, just to be in their life. God, move through us, Lord move through us, Lord. We surrender ourselves to you to be used in a mighty way. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Come on, can we say amen? Give the Lord a hand clap. Amen. God bless you. Slap your neighbor high five and say preach.